All right, I got a bone to pick it with you all. It's me, Michelangelo Caravaggio, the artist from the 1600s. You all watch a movie about me, huh? You watch a movie about me, and you don't ask me about it? Uh, Mr. Caravaggio, uh, we, uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? When you watch a movie about me, you gotta get in contact with me and ask me about it, because it is wrong. What, 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 the movie's wrong? The whole thing, it don't make no sense. My, none of that happened in my life. We didn't have pocket calculators in the 1600s. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. I remember a lot about that time, despite being incredibly drunk. They did get that part right. Well, you need to take it up with Derek Jarman. We didn't make the movie, sir. And that guy? I mean, I killed him. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, I just met him in an alley. I mean, he was, he was, uh, he had a bad look on his face, you know. You understand. When the guy has a bad look on his face, you got to stab him in the throat. Uh, not familiar with that frame of... Well, uh... it was a different time. But that's how we did it back then. But you got to understand that this movie is awful. It okay. doesn't make no sense, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I had my fair share of uh, ladies and uh, gentlemen across the city, but none of them were like that. No, no. You guys, you guys suck for watching that movie and then not talking to me, and I have to come all the way down here and scream into your microphone. Jason, I... Jason you want to step in here? Or... No, I think he's good. I think he's, I think he's got to say his piece. Thank you. You're a good man. I appreciate it. But you, you're a piece of shit, oh, wow. Brendan. You're a piece of shit. You don't listen to my movie. Uh, wait, you don't listen to my movie. I made my own movie, and you haven't watched that. What's your movie? Uh, it's a Michelangelo de Caravaggio, the story. Never heard of it. Well, it's coming out in 2021. Did you just paint it? That's not what movies are. Yeah, it's animated. I paint every frame, you see. Uh, I'm a very busy man. It's taken me 400 years, but I'm finished, finally. Jason, this is the most volatile opening we've ever... Yeah, uh, Mike, uh, thanks for coming, but uh, we really have a podcast we got to record right now. No, fuck you. you. I thought you was a nice guy. You're not a nice guy. You're, you're a piece of shit, though, Brendan. And I'm leaving, and I'm going to tell you both to go fuck yourselves listening to this terrible movie. Fuck you. Why'd he bang the table on his way out? <laughs> don't know. What was he scratching for? Was that him coming out of the dirt? It may have been. He's. I. I think. I think his brain may be a bit rotted from uh, four hundred years of being dead. Ladies and gentlemen, Caravaggio, everyone. Don't do. Don't give him that. That's not even. Let's just not even. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Fuck that guy. He liked you. Well, until the end. It's rare that happens. Usually you get the shit on by the guest. Well, I mean, I, I we, we have a connection, but I don't want to go into it. Uh, okay, I don't want to go into it Did either. you ever see that, the scar on my neck? Yeah. Yeah, it was him. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking oh. about. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Chase, this is a podcast. Where we talk about the top 100 British films of all time, as rated by the British Film Institute in 1999. That was very concise. Why, thank you. And it's called For Scream. And Country. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And, of course, you know, every week we roll the dice. We get a random number on that list. This week we rolled number 41. We've already covered Goldfinger. I almost said Goldmember. (laughs) Such a hard thing to do in that episode. Uh, We already covered Goldfinger. But now we are covering the first of the of the Bond films, the first of the Eon Productions Bond films, Doctor No. But Jason, before we talk about Doctor No, we need to talk about last week's film a little bit. Read some comments, hopefully not from uh, Michelangelo Caravaggio. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll put those aside. <laughs> We're gonna read some comments regarding the film Caravaggio. Ooh, comments. We have them. A few, a handful. Surprisingly. Uh, about an artist's palette of four separate paintings, each. So I guess not paintings, paint. 
paint. Oh. Yeah, like on a, what do you call it, a palette? Like four uh, separate uh, types of paint. We've got blue, we've got red, yeah. we've got green, yeah. Keep going. and we've got uh, sort of a pinkish. Ooh, no yellow. No. Why is that? Yellow is the color of the devil. Um, surprised that's not red. Or No, it's yellow. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and that's not a race thing. Nothing. I'm not saying anybody that might you know. consider would be a yellow devil. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that yellow is the color of the devil. Because if you go into a room and it's bright yellow, how do you feel? I mean, I just feel like it's bright yellow. But that's the spirit of Satan. You know, people wouldn't have thought it probably was a race thing until you said it's not a race thing. Well, I mean, and, and then of course it comes into my head. Uh, but you know what? I mean, I th- see the problem is I did a podcast with you about Pearl Harbor, so it's f- it's f- front and center in my mind. Even what? though that was like two years ago. Was something insensitive about that movie? Nothing. Nothing insensitive about that movie at all. The Japanese it was a perfectly hold- accurate recreation. <laughs> Japanese people hold all their meetings outside. We 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 looked it up. Well, it's I mean, it's you know, very much the uh, uh, you know, it's a lovely day. Why don't we just? Go outside, guys. Yeah, can we have can we have war meeting outside today? Admiral Yamamoto, absolutely. <laughs> but we do have a few comments about Caravaggio, though. Sure, Caravaggio was a man. man. Uh, thanks to that guy again for that. Oh, no, no thanks at all. No, thank you for bringing that into the world. That school project that turned into our theme song for that episode. Thank you. Oh, it's the worst thing since my hands are bananas. Hey, all can right. you make a song? Yeah, no, I just did. You sang his song. Uh, so our first comment comes from... <laughs> you fucking plagiarist. Louise, Louise Camera. I always think that's like... Um, it reminds me of Jenna from uh, 30 Rock saying camera. When she has to say camera. camera. <laughs> um, so Louise says, I've seen it, but it was 1989 when I did. And all I remember is how good the visual design was, the general atmosphere. So I got nothing for you other than I think it was more about Caravaggio's art then about his life and Caravaggio's art itself was full of anachronisms when he depicted the past mm. that just solved our little mystery oh there we go now we know why yeah. was, he was playing on oh that's sweet so so yeah you may not have seen it in 30 years but thank you for uh, pointing that out to our dumb minds because I, I didn't know anything about Caravaggio's yeah, art no, and me now neither. knowing that his art did that you the, think the, I could have read the Wikipedia article but I didn't I don't even think it said it in that oh maybe so I, I think it just said Derek Jarman was a was a fucking badass and he was like Pocket watches, hell yeah, booyah! Electric well, digital cal- watches, electric calculators for the win. All right, I'll do the I'll do the next one. I get two. I'll give you the last two All here. Right. Uh, so the next one is from uh, Victoria Stewart. Mm. She says, "I haven't seen this one, but I saw his Edward the Second, and I was fascinated. Young Tilda Swinton and Annie Lennox. You can't go wrong. Ooh, also, sweet dreams are made of that, Brendan. There is a scene apparently in that movie where Annie Lennox's character." Uh, sings an Annie Lennox song in the movie, though, to someone. Walking on broken glass. <laughs> I thought you were going to say for some reason, working nine to five. And I was like, I don't know that that's an Annie Lennox I, song. I would like to hear her cover of that. Uh, well, Annie, get, get Annie Lennox on Annie, the phone. Annie, if you're listening. Annie, Annie are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> are you okay, Annie? Are you and okay if you're to, okay. Then, are you okay to do this, Annie? Yeah, please do this, Annie. If it's okay. <laughs> if it's okay. If it's okay, Annie. We're terrible. 
All right, so uh, next we have uh, 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 one of our Rogues Gallery commenters, Adam Pellman. Ah, uh, the Pelster. Pelster chipping in Make with... Make it copies. <laughs> he says, I've seen several Jarman films, including this one, and they're not really my cup of tea. Jubilee is probably the one I, m- I like most. I have to say, though, I always really enjoyed the anarchisms, like the typewriter during the bathtub scene in Caravaggio. There's also a scene in Edward II where Annie Lennox is uh, in the scene singing a song for the soundtrack, which is a really beautiful moment. Jarman was a really important voice in the British arts, even apart from his filmmaking. So it's great to see him represented on this list, even if Caravaggio is not my bag. I think it's safe to say it wasn't really either of our bags, uh, but we could uh, appreciate it for what it was. Yeah, yeah. I think think we kind of said, like, it was what it was. It was definitely, like... It's a movie that's become more interesting thinking about it. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that this kind of movie is on a list like this, because it's definitely really out of the norm it's a movie that i don't really ever want to watch again but i'm happy to talk about sure yeah it's just it's a fascinating movie for discussion yeah it probably it it probably um it makes sense to me that it's in the 90s on the list but i think it it's okay to have a spot there yeah somewhere near the bottom yeah we gotta have smarty shit on there yeah all right and then uh david francisco uh, of the of the San Francisco dynasty of the San Francisco's (laughs) says i love all of his films his biopics are really top rank and some of the best examples of how you can experiment within that form. My favorite, 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 favorite. there's only three syllables. My Fa- favorite, or as we say, favorite, is probably Wittenstein. W- Wittenstein? Wittenstein was a beery swine. It was just a schloss to Schlegel. There's nothing neat you couldn't teach you about the raising of the wrist. Socrates himself was permanently pissed. <sighs> Sorry about this, Brandon. John Stuart Mill of his own free will on hot body chain. Put it in stick away. I'm going to give a day. Ready to go with the drug of fire. I drink the 4 a.m. You know, Socrates himself would be particularly missed. I love it. But about it because he's pissed. David, uh, congratulations on writing all that. I, I didn't think I, I didn't think that's what I saw. No, no. But, uh, I just, I had to get it out of me. Uh, you're like uh, you're like Cartman in that episode of South Park where he has to continue. I know I don't want to be like Cartman in any way, but I'm a fat guy, and <laughs> when I hear that song, I gotta sing it. When I hear the rest of Cubs Tail Away, I have to finish it. <laughs> I just can't do anything till it's done. That is a great fucking song, Brendan. I won't have you say anything mocking it. Well, I won't mock it, but what I will do is this: we have to do a little comparison point. All right. So this was '93 on the BFI Top right. 100. And on the AFI top 100. So I assume this is this is the the only hundred movies uh, ever made in the Americas. So this yes. is like the seventh worst. Yeah. So this is the ninety third best movie like made out of a hundred movies that, yeah. that have been made in America. Only hundred. <laughs> Number ninety three on the AFI is the French Connection, which I have not seen. God damn it! And I want to see it. You I know mean, what? I'd I, even see two. Nothing surprises me after Jaws. So yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm okay with. Hey, I've got my own blind spots. Yeah. I mean, I do too. I've never seen. I don't know. I have, uh, and again, I have nothing against Jaws, and I do want to watch Jaws. I'm, I just, I just haven't gotten to it. And I'm it's like, some people want to hold that as a thing, like, oh, I've never seen The Matrix, and, and I'm I never, never gonna will. see it because yeah. I never. It's like, fuck that, fuck that. Yeah, it's, it's like that's like me and Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> fuck that movie. I will never see it. Yeah, I don't care how many people reference it in my day to day life because that is a lot. Let me tell you. I watched I some of The see. Music Man, Brendan. Have you ever seen The Music Man? I have not. Well, if you watch The Music Man, you will understand so many Conan O'Brien-related uh, references. Okay. Because he fucking loves that movie, and I watched, like, maybe the first half of it. And even then, it's just like, okay, clearly this is... Exa- I mean, I, it's not crazy to say. I think it's pretty obvious in the media. But for me, it's like, yeah, obviously this is where that, that episode, this is the, the monorail episode, is clearly directly based on that movie. I mean, and again, I'm I'm a dummy, so it just drawing that connection and watching it being like, wow, they really really did uh, dig into this movie. Well, you got a lot of Conan on um, 
from uh, Marx Brothers too. Yes, yes, so the same kind of energy. Yeah, Marx Brothers and uh, Mel Brooks from yeah. Marx Brothers too. So can um, we just do a Conan cast? I'll talk about Conan for an hour. I mean, I guess so. If you're All good, right. <laughs> are you gonna be good? I'll be very good. Okay. Well, I was say... Conan in any British movies, Brendan? <laughs> Jason, I haven't made my decision <laughs> on this AFI thing yet. All right. All right. So what was uh, what was the movie? So the French Connection. French Connection. Yes. So by default, the winner is Caravaggio. By default, it's Caravaggio for me. I have seen the French Connection. Yeah. Um, it has the, the best car chase scenes, obviously, of all time. It's what up about there. Bullet, Brendan? I've never seen Bullet. Oh well. But it, it's up there. It's like it's like known for that, right? Yeah. Uh, Gene Hackman. Uh, one of the better like bleak endings I think I've ever seen mm-hmm. to a major Hollywood studio film. I still contend that it is kind of a crime that that movie is on the AFI list and not The Exorcist. Like, mm-hmm. William Friedkin, they picked that movie. Hot take? Don't like The Exorcist all that much. Okay, the podcast is over. <laughs> I saw I saw the 20th anniversary re-release of it. And you know what? It's a movie that I respect because I see what it probably did when it came out because I know people were probably freaked out by it. But watching it in the theater with my friends in 1998 or whenever that you know, re-release was, it we all laughed at it. You son of a bitch. <laughs> we all laughed at it. You're that guy. Yeah. You're that person. But that I will say that that movie did lead to Scary Movie 2, which we all loved very much in the theater. Uh, outside of the first five minutes, no. Shake your ass. But watch yourself. Shake your ass. And that, and Show me what you're Don't go any with. further with that. Because <laughs> we are going to be canceled That's if it. you keep no, going. I, I only say the good parts. Um, so, I mean, yeah. I, I, think, I think the French Connection is wins this one now question brendan did you see the french connection 2 uh, no oh well i feel like that's probably like a godfather 2 type movie i've heard it's not great no huh. it's weird that they would make a sequel to a drama like that do they do that anymore are there ever drama sequels these days i mean i guess it's kind of an action criminal movie but <laughs> i guess i don't know i guess they made the oceans movies but i don't know if i consider the french connection a heist i haven't even seen it and i don't think it's a heist movie jason we need to talk about this week's film do we do we really <laughs> we do this is why people come to the podcast for for coherence brendan this yes. isn't why i'm here today oh good lord he is pushback on everything i'm on fire that was a big that was a big peak <laughs> on fire boy <laughs> oh that was the paul ryan of peaks uh it's gonna be a fun episode so let's get to the movie uh we will be discussing this week number 41 on the list good good pull thank you i mean i'm assuming you're right i don't know i mean i know because we're totally recording this on the same week oh yeah of course started. of course why why wouldn't we well it's silly um we we're talking about of course the other james bond movie that we haven't discussed yet dr no It makes me feel like it's 1998 again, and I'm crawling around the facility. Come again? You never played Goldeneye? Well, we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> when we get to Goldeneye, which That's is right. on this list. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, yeah, we are talking about uh, 1962, Dr. No, number 41, which we 
We have to get into a discussion at some point, Jason, about the ranking of this and Goldfinger. Because this is ranked higher than Goldfinger. It is. And I believe Goldfinger was number 70. Number 70. So it's a difference of 29 places, which Mm. is pretty, you know, significant. That's a big jump, yeah. Uh, But we'll get into that, of course. Uh, But we're talking about Dr. No. So, I mean, obviously we have Sean Connery as James Bond. Mm. Ursula Andress playing Honey Rider, but only in, in appearance only, not in voice. Like many movies of the time. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Wiseman as Dr. No, which I do want to get into that a little bit more uh, for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Lord is playing Felix Leiter. Shows up in the very first Bond movie. Is he from... Uh, what show is he from? Jack Lord. Uh, the Jack Lord. Was he on Mission Impossible or something like that? He was on a famous Seinfeld. TV show. I mean, I had the internet in front it's of me. It's always sunny ask. in Philadelphia. That's the one. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, Bernard Lee plays M, a role that he would go on to play many times. Mm-hmm. Peter Burton plays Major Boothroyd, who would later, of course, be known as Q, played by Desmond Lewin for many a movie. Well, Boothroyd's in the books, and the, yeah, the character was sort of rolled into what Q is in the movie. I mean, he basically is Q yeah, later. Yeah, he's, he's the armorer from Q Branch. Uh, Anthony Dawson plays Professor Dent. And last but not least, another staple of many of these early Bond films, Lois Maxwell as Miss Moneypenny. In her first her first appearance in the role, and until I think her last appearance is in um, uh, that fucking terrible Roger Moore one. Which one? Uh, Which one? God damn it. It's the one with Do- uh, Grace Jones. Oh. Why can I, and Christopher Walken. Why can I never, uh, never is remember? Is it Live and Let Die? No, that's, that's the 70s one. Uh, View to a Kill. Yeah, it's the one. View to that, a Kill. That one is awful. Yeah. And of, course, and of course, Bernard Lee as M was M until uh, Moonraker, I believe. Moonraker. Mm. Pigeon double take. He's the moon, the moon who rakes the skies. That, yeah, I love that song. Hey, look, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you have so much fun, Brendan. <laughs> I like this. Me too. So, Dr. No, Jason, it's the first Bond film not the first time Bond has been portrayed on screen. But no, as, as we know, Bond was originally was first portrayed on screen, I believe, on a CBS Playhouse 90, possibly, uh, a version of Casino Royale where he was CIA agent Jimmy Bond. But I mean, essentially, yes. this this Bond, this, this version the, of the character... The this Eon is, Productions Bond, I believe. Yeah, the movies. Yeah. This is the very first. Yes. Um, so it is a landmark film. I'd say this is one of, one of the, if not the... Uh, biggest film on this list. I feel like out of all the films on here, this one, maybe Goldfinger above this one, yeah. would be the most recognizable. Probably, Even yeah. if someone had not seen it. Absolutely. Everyone knows who James Bond is. Yeah. At this point, he's just such an iconic character. So Jason, tell us all about this $1.1 million budgeted movie. That made 60 times its budget back. $60 million, yeah. Well, Bond has a hat. The end. Join us next week as we roll the dice here. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let, yeah. Talk about that right away because it starts out with the it starts out with the classic opening. Yeah. The, so, gun, the gunshot. So this, this, so this is the first James Bond movie. So the theme music in this movie, first off, is the actual James Bond theme. Kind of. Well, into a mambo, into three blind mice. That's a whole other thing. I love that song. But when we open with the classic, uh, and and this, you know, the first movie. This is the first time they do this. Uh, the uh, the gun barrel. The sequence. gun barrel scene sequence, yeah. which is a staple of every Bond movie since. He's wearing a hat in this one. It's not Sean Connery. It's not Sean Connery. It's not. No. It's a stunt man. Stunt and man. <laughs> it's uh, 
No, for real. It's yeah. not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I, like, I, I. like, yeah, yeah. Not yeah, sure Khan, is, yeah. Sure man. Yeah. Mm, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm Brendan. <laughs> um, yes, it's a stuntman wearing a hat mm-hmm. because Sean Connery, I am assuming, was terrified of hats. No, I believe they had to film this very last minute. And yeah, so it's not him, number one. <laughs> number two, he's wearing a hat. And then he shoots at the screen. It's pretty much. I mean, the opening sequence is very low budget. Well, and it goes into this like almost Saul Bass like uh, uh, opening like, mm. with all the lights or the colored circles. You know, it's oh, really I, cool. Animation. I like the opening. Yeah. I'm just saying, compared to the future movies, oh, yeah, it's absolutely. very low budget. Like, look at Goldfinger. Yeah, and look at this. Like, yeah. it's light years apart. Yeah, no, they they really dug into the opening sequences. You know, later on, and then of course other movies did them famously. Uh, you'll remember Spy Hard. The famously lady. famously with the fat ladies uh, in the silhouette and then Weird Al singing you know that movie that everyone's yeah, seen Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen yeah I saw it it was the first movie I saw in the theater by myself Liam Neeson what did the, I say no you said Leslie Nielsen <laughs> yeah Leslie Nielsen Liam, Liam Neeson Leslie Nielsen that'd be a great movie why can't we get those two together uh, I have to tell you something off air alright well we'll talk about it later I'm sure it's not bad no, um, it's fine. so yeah cool cool special effects or cool 60s not really special effects but cool animation into a mambo we see some silhouettes of people mamboing uh, not as sexy as other movies uh, in the James Bond franchise when it comes to silhouettes. 1962, still... there is a certain acceptable level of sexy. Yeah, yeah. And then we go into Three Blind Mice, which is a bit of a weird uh, transition. <laughs> not not having read the book, I imagine. I'm sure this is in the book. Not the song, of course, but the guys. But yeah, so he goes into Three Blind Mice, and we have three blind dudes walking along the street with their canes, arms on each other's shoulder, and a little bit of a train. That's very cute. Hmm. And we wonder why that is, and, you know, Chekhov's blind guy, right? Uh, <laughs> yes, the classic uh, <laughs> the classic setup. So nearby at a club, MI6 agent John Strangways is playing cards when he is called away. Do you, f- do you feel right away that this is almost a fake-out? If we didn't know, if you're watching this movie, Dr. No, and mm-hmm. you don't know who James Bond is, which is probably a lot of people watching yes. this, I think you think that John Strangoways is the guy because he's very suave right off the bat. Yeah. He's just like, you might as well just be like, Strangoways, John Strangoways. Like, yeah. I, no, watching this again, I'm like, wow, I totally would have bought into this fake up that he's the guy. Yeah, and I suppose at this point, this was like Sean Connery's first like huge yeah, role. Yeah, so nobody knew who so, he yeah, was. Unless you'd seen The Longest Day and saw his like 30 seconds on screen, you probably didn't know who he of was. Of which I'm a big fan. Love that movie. It's a great ne- movie. I've actually never seen it. You should it. watch it. It's awesome. Okay. It's a great World War II movie. Um... So he goes out to his car, and uh, as he does, we see the blind guys nearby, and we realize that, nope, they're not actually blind, and they've got submachine guns, and they riddle his body with bullets. Acute lead poisoning, it's called. Meanwhile, back at his office, his secretary, Mary Truelove? Trueblood? I don't know. They don't say her name in the movie, but... She's basically his version of Money Penny. Yeah, yeah, his secretary. Um, She's making a routine check-in on the radio uh, when the same guys all burst in and murder her. And steal some files labeled Crab Key and Dr. No. You said the title of the film. And then we go into the opening sequence, right? No. Oh, see, we don't do that. We don't that, do that is different too. Yeah, see, because yeah, we this, had the whole opening right away. There was no cold open. No, exactly. If this, if this movie had been made today, this probably would have been the cold open. Yeah, well, for sure. Yeah. So, meanwhile, back in MI6, they note, they noticed the loss of contact from Kingston, because they're in Jamaica, right? Because he's dead as fuck. He's dead as fuck. So, they can't, uh, they can't get in contact, but they know what they have to do. They have to send one man. So, they send this one man to go down to the club to find the one man they need. Mm. 
So he heads, man is. So he heads into the club and he's sitting at the table playing Baccarat, specifically Ooh. Chemin de Fer. Uh, and I do want to play this right now because this... <laughs> Jason, right now. Do no, it. I do want to play this right now because this is our f- introduction. This is our introduction to the character. First time we hear him on in the movie, in a Bond film. Very uh, important moment here. Iconic. Neuf à la banque. I need another thousand. I admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck. Mr. Bond. James Bond. God damn. The music cue's right there and ready. He lights a cigarette as soon as he's saying it. He looks so fucking cool. And yeah, that James Bond theme comes in. Like, oh, perfect introduction to the character. Man. I'm much more familiar with Sean Connery as an older man. Yes. But god damn, he was a sexy young man. He was. He was very Ooh. much so. There's a reason they hired him, Brendan. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I just got to... Oh, he's a very good actor. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I just got the vapors. Oh, my lordy. So, yeah, he's sitting there playing Chemin de Fer, which is a game I don't totally understand, but it's very similar to Blackjack. I thought he was just playing 21. No, Chemin uh, de Fer is, is it's a variant of Baccarat where one player is the banker and plays against a group of other players. It, but beyond that, I know it has to do with the number nine because they keep going, bonk, nith, bonk, nith. And he meets uh, the first, I guess, the first person you could consider a Bond girl in the sense that he eventually fucks her. Uh, one wonderfully named Sylvia Trench. <laughs> I, just, I just thought about that when you said it. It's just such a, it just sounds like such a ribald name right out of the gate. Like, uh, I mean, I know we later on we get our pussy galores and honey riders and such of the, and such, but um, our, so there's our, something just right in your face about Sylvia Trench. Dr. Christmas Jones. Dr. Christmas Jones. Christmas comes about once a year. Uh, sometimes, not at all. That's not what he says. And that's what he's thinking. So he does pretty well at Baccarat. Wait, if he says we're sometimes not at all, that's implying that he doesn't want her to have an orgasm. <laughs> he doesn't care. That's the thing. Or, so, or maybe you could just sit on my cock and we'll just forget about Although it. Although that's more, I think Sean Connery Bond is the Bond that doesn't care. I think the Pierce Brosnan Bond is a little more sensitive and would care. Especially the Daniel Craig Bond. Yeah, no, he's definitely into He's the woke coming. Bond. Yeah, the woke Bond. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Bond does pretty well at Baccarat. He earns himself a fat stack and, uh, you know, makes a little headway with Trench. And But he's got to go back to work. So he heads headway. to Universal Exports, which is the longtime pseudonym for basically the front business for uh, his activities. So, yeah, he goes to Universal Exports. He sees Money Penny. He sexually harasses her, as is his uh, uh, thing. I mean, I think they have, like, a friendly thing back oh, and yeah, forth, absolutely. honestly, though. But these days, he would definitely get in trouble with HR if anybody saw what was going on. Yeah. Because um, she's very much like, oh, hello, James. Yes. Why don't you ever take me well, out? Well, I mean, it's, it's clear Money Penny's definitely in love with James Bond. Yeah. It's just, can I just say that's one of the tragedies of these movies? Yeah, absolutely. I'm almost like, James, you have a whole life right there in front of you. Exactly. You, you Stability is staring you in the face and you but, don't care. But Sean Connery is like, Lois Maxwell is older than me? Pass. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't need that today. I don't need someone my own age. Are you Bruh. kidding me? I'm Sean Connery. He says that a lot. Uh, Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first day of shooting of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I'm Sean Connery. You might remember me from such films as... The Avengers! Yes. The good one! <laughs> So uh, he is then sent, he goes in to meet M to discuss the Jamaica situation, to be briefed on it, you might say. 
so uh, M tells him he's got to go down to Jamaica and investigate Strangway's disappearance and whether it relates to a CIA investigation that's also going on at the same time of uh, radio signals that have been disrupting rocket launches. At Cape Canaveral, I believe? Yes, at Cape Canaveral. Uh, So, (laughs) and while he's there, his gun turns out to be an issue too. And this is interesting, and I I don't know this for sure. I should have looked it up uh, so I don't look like a fool. But he's carrying a Beretta pistol. Now, I believe in the Bond books... He, at least the early ones, he does actually carry a Beretta pistol. That is a, a uh, move. But uh, he is uh, told that this is essentially a pussy gun and that he's a pussy for using it and they make yeah. fun of him and they beat him up a little bit. No, I think don't. that's a jab at the book. <laughs> yeah. I believe you're right. I think I read something about that. Yeah. <laughs> so they tell him it's a pussy gun and he needs a new gun. So they give him a brand new Walther PPK, a German-made pistol that is the iconic James Bond pistol. However, he does not keep it. He does give it to Money Penny and leave. Well, no, but he gives her the box. I oh, think. I thought he gave her the gun. That's what I was wondering. But no, I think he gives her the box because he later has the gun when he gets back to his apartment, uh, okay, right? Because okay. he needs it. Uh, and, and M is uh, clear to hold on to the Beretta to make sure he doesn't uh, keep using it. Also, we meet Major Boothroyd, as we said, would later kind of uh, be evolve into uh, Q. Uh, but Gadget also... Sky. Yeah, but also Boothroyd is a wonderfully British-sounding name, and I'm kind of sad that that character didn't continue in some form. Mm. So he takes his gun, he heads home, but he walks into his house and things seem suspicious, and he pulls his gun... Only to find a pantsless Sylvia Trench. Mm-mm-mm. He really has to go. He's just stopping by to pick up shit. But Sylvia uh, wants to, you know, have a little fun. And Bond decides that, yes, you know what? There is time for a little trench raid. Let, let's let's hear that little exchange. Because right. that's a, really the first, like, Bond flirt scene of all time that this leads is, to... This is our first introduction to Bond's sexuality. Yes, first introduction to Bond's flirt that leads to fucking... Yes, I guess Money Penny was more just like a fun... Just a fun poke. She's a fun gal you hang out with. Yeah, exactly. You just uh, mess about with. Here we go. How did you get in here? Never mind that now you're here. I decided to accept your invitation. Oh, that was for tomorrow afternoon. Tell me, you always dress this way for golf. I changed into something more comfortable. Oh, I hope I did the right thing. You did the right thing, but you picked the wrong moment. I have to leave immediately. Oh, that's too bad. Just as things were getting interesting again. When did you say you had to leave? Immediately. Almost immediately. And then he immediately heads to Jamaica. We heard the plane there at the end of the... uh, I thought that was the sound of his cock. It makes a tone. So Imagine if every time you got hurt, it just went NBC. <laughs> so he gets to Jamaica and he gets off the plane, and everybody is suspicious in this airport. Mm. Everybody's giving him the side eye. From the there's a photographer who's wandering around that gives him a weird look and takes a picture to the chauffeur that picks him up. Everyone is weird looking. So there is a chauffeur waiting for him, which is weird because Bond is pretty sure he asks specifically not to have an official reception. Since, you know, he's on a spy mission. Yeah. So he uh, makes an excuse to get away to go check his reservation and calls the government house from a payphone booth. And it's like, hey, did you guys send me a car? And they're like, no, you asked us not to. He's like, all right. So what does he do? He goes along with the guy. And so they take off in a convertible. And props to Sean Connery for keeping his hat on uh, while they're driving. Because that it's a he must have glued it to his head. Uh, maybe glued it to his toupee. I don't know. Because they're definitely driving for yeah, real. Yeah, they're definitely driving for real. Uh, actually, I think they are, aren't they? Or is that a green screen scene? 
don't remember. Nothing stood out to me. Green screen, rear projection, probably. Nothing stood out to me specifically as a rear projection, but... I'm pretty sure it was a real scene. I'm just assuming 1962. Yeah. So uh, he goes off with them, and the driver's driving fast, and he's like, why are you going so fast? He's like, because we're being tailed. (laughs) He looks back, and there's a a black dude in a car that's tailing them. And so he, he... they speed up, he tells them to pull off, and the guys fly by, and hey, hey, they're gone. They lost them. But uh, Bond also knows something's up, so he jams the gun in the back of, uh, of the guy's head. The guy goes for his gun. They have a, he gives him a karate chop to his arm to knock the gun out of his hand. They have a tussle. Bond gets the upper hand. Wants to interrogate him. But alas... But alas, he has a cyanide tablet that he... Well, he has, to, he has to have a cigarette, and Bond, being a gentleman, is like, sure, have a cigarette. And it turns out the cigarette has cyanide in it, and he dies. Yes. So that problem is solved for that guy, but it's, no, you know, James Bond still doesn't know what's going on. So he jumps in his car and drives to the government house with the body propped up in the back and leads to kind of a funny scene where he's like, uh, what does he say, like, take care of him or make sure he... I don't know. Yeah. He's dead gonna, tired. I was going to say that was my go-to as a commando. <laughs> He's dead tired. Arnold, don't you dare st- steal that line from me. So he heads into the government house. He touches base uh, with them. Mm. And they send him over to Strangway's uh, apartment or home to investigate. So while he's there, he finds a couple things. He finds a receipt for some geological analysis, which is a strange thing to find. And he finds a, uh, a picture that is kind of interesting. He's told that Strangways had kind of gotten into fishing uh, like three weeks before and had caught quite a large fish. And it was so proud of it that he immediately had a picture made and placed in his home. Uh, And Bond recognizes the guy in the photo. He's the dude that was chasing them in the car. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So he grabs the receipt. He finds out that that man's name is Quarrel. Quarrel, yes. So he goes and Professor Quarrel from Harry Potter. Yes, of course. He taught, um, I don't know, fishing magic? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How to catch a fish with just your wand. Marine wizardry. So back at his room, Bond prepares a few things to let him know if someone comes in his room. Because he's, you know, he's a spy. He's paranoid. Puts some powder on his briefcase lock so he knows if somebody touched it. And he puts a little hair over his closet door so he knows if somebody opened it. Mm-hmm. Smart guy. Smart. And then down at the docks, he goes down to question Quarrel. He recognizes him as the driver of the chase car. He sizes him up, but Quarrel is quickly suspicious and kind of heads off to a bar, and Bond follows him indirectly, and then they have a little chat, and uh, he's like, look, we get, let's, let's take this in private if we're going to talk. They go into a back room, and another guy uh, by the name of Puss Feller. That's quite a name. He yeah. sounds like he should be... <laughs> I'm going to say it. I'll delete it if I don't want to. <laughs> He sounds like he should be, like, the first, uh, like, Bond trans girl. Puss Feller? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> it feels like, to me, like, Bond... And, and certainly in the 60s, if they did it, they would have the attitude to have that kind of name. But it would probably... Let's, let's be honest, Jason. If this was 1962, it would be a villain. That's true. That's true. Absolutely. In this time. This isn't... Uh, this is 30 years till the crying game, Okay. So Puss Feller comes in, and they have a bit of a tussle, and it's all ended when another man walks in the room and puts a gun to the back of James Bond's head. It's an American, Brendan. Felix Leiter. The long-running character that has been in many Bond movies. Uh, Currently G- being portrayed by Jeffrey Wright. Absolutely. And it is uh, uh, sort of Bond's CIA counterpart. Mm-hmm. So this is, I guess, their first meeting. Uh, and this was all a little misunderstanding, clearly. 
Uh, they're actually all there doing the same thing. They want to figure out what's going on, what happened to this guy, and what's going down with these radio signals that are messing with rocket launches. Which I'm glad this little twist came up. I knew mm. Felix Leiter, obviously, mm. but I had forgotten if Quarrel was a, a villain or not. And I'm really glad that they said he wasn't, because at this point, every person of color has been a villain. Yeah, oh yeah. Let's just state Pretty that much, for the record. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I would say. In talking to Coral now, now that they're on even terms, they can they can have a proper conversation. And Coral mentions that he's been taking uh, Strangways out to Crab Key, which is a nearby island, mm-hmm. to get rock samples. And this island uh, is hard to get to because it is jealously guarded. Uh, it is the rather the jealously guarded possession of one Doctor No, who is a local eccentric i suppose a man of uh german and chinese heritage absolutely which we'll definitely get into a little later uh, and he runs this island and there's a bauxite mine on there or something they say yeah yeah I don't but, know but it's a it's a bauxite mine that is protected by men with submachine guns so you, he doesn't really like people coming out there so it was a bit of a thing to get those rocks Off. so ron bon, ron so ron ron burgundy ron burgundy well, for, oh, how great would that be if they made an Anchorman spinoff where he was a secret agent? Oh, I would watch that. That'd be so good. <laughs> and it, and it's not it's not it's, it's not Ron Burgundy as a secret agent. It's Ron Burgundy starring in a movie as a secret agent. Oh wait, so he's playing a character. <laughs> he's playing a character, yeah. But I'm it's not, but it's Ron Burgundy because he can't do. He's not an actor. I'm not. I'm not shaving the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> doop, 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 doop. You can CG it off. <laughs> mm. Those computer computer googlings. That's what they call it. So, uh, learning this information uh, that he had gone out there to get rocks, Bond heads off to meet the geologist who'd uh, been sent these rock samples. Uh, what, on his way there, the three blind mice, our friends, are waiting for him, but they back off because they can't, uh, the time isn't right to kill him. Well, no, this is the funniest thing is that Bond would have died. Mm. The only reason he doesn't die is because a car goes by and flashes their headlights and it catches one of them in the face yeah. so they can't get the shot but Bond only survives because of that coincidence yeah. so really he didn't evade anything no he, it wasn't anything nothing of his volition he just happened to continue what he was doing and if fate that, worked out if that car had not gone by he would be dead which is not the first time in this uh, series that bo- something will happen that is completely out of Bond's control but saves his ass so he goes in, he meets this doctor, and the doctor feeds a bunch of bullshit to Bond about there being nothing special about these oh, rocks. Oh, uh, Dr. Dent? Dr. Dent, yes. Sounds like you were doing Dean Martin for a second. Like, nothing special about these dogs, Nothing man. special about these rocks, brother. Uh, but he's working for Dr. No. <gasps> no! He, he immediately, as soon as Bond leaves, he immediately runs off and heads to the island to tell Dr. No what's up. And, and uh, Dr. No is not happy he came there. And we don't see him. We don't see him. He just hear hears his voice. Yeah, he's put into a room and he does the whole Wizard of Oz thing where he's just over a speaker. and It's also a scene, like a supervillain scene that I feel like I've seen copied after this. Where, a... you know, you have a henchman that goes into a big empty room and they're talking to the boss. Yeah. And you don't see them. It's kind of, you know, actually it's kind of like Dr. Claw. Yeah. Like, you, I guess you kind of see Dr. Claw's like hands. And no, I'm not counting the Inspector Gadget movie because fuck that bullshit. But, uh... Yeah, it just feels like... It, I saw this and I was like, wow, I feel like I've seen this a million times after this. But what I is... What, Dr. No doesn't like failure, Jason. And what does he give him to go kill James Bond? Well, the most obvious thing you could imagine, he gives him a little cage with a tarantula in it. Instead of, you know, a gun. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I should have looked this up. I don't know how many tarantulas are actually poisonous. I know many aren't. So I don't know if this is like just like a 60s misconception or I, if this yeah. thing's actually a poisonous spot. I think for many years, 
a tarantula is supposed to be, you know, just a vicious creature. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't think they really are. No, they don't seem... They, they're pretty... I mean, you, you see it in the movie. He's just kind of slowly crawling along on Bond. I feel kind of bad for the tarantula. It's kind of like how we vilified the... Uh, we vilified sharks after Jaws. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. people went out and, like, be, like, would kill sharks after Jaws came out. Yeah. So Bond's lying in bed. He's trying to get some Z's and he feels something and this fucking spider has been left in his bed and is crawling up his arm so he's frozen yeah. while this thing crawls up him. So he just lets this spider crawl up his shoulder and then eventually the spider crawls off onto the pillow and that's when Bond leaps to action, grabs a shoe and beats the shit out of this fucking spider. Can we play just the sound Please. design? Yes, I, because, I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Because this this scene, I wasn't going to grab it but then just the, the sound design in the scene is quite, quite frankly... Great. Yeah, this and, is a, this is a good one for a podcast. So just listen close, folks. Yeah, and just keep in mind the spider is crawling up, and as at the end, as Jason says, he he uh, hits the spider with his shoe. You'll know just from the sound design what's going on. like to say i hope Peto was on set for that <laughs> but of course you hear the bump 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 that's him squashing the the spider but what's great is they mix in the actual sounds too but it just gives it a very like you, mm. you heard that 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 scene is amazing the, the you, don't even, you don't even need to to watch it to know what's going on but i only have one question what were who they kills, thinking who kills a spider with a shoe i mean honestly really? honestly you kill a spider like a woman <laughs> it's not the first time a shoe will come into play in this movie there's one more time i'm we'll, i'll mention it when we get there all right so the spider's dead, taken care of. Bond decides to go check in with the doctor to see what's going on. So he gets, uh... <laughs> you good there? I'm good. It looked like you were going to come out of your body nah. there. Yep. So uh, he goes to see him. He traps him and, uh, uh, and tries to interrogate him for a bit. Uh, and we have one of the great... We, we have a pretty cool moment where he goes for his gun... Uh, grabs it like is basically uses his foot to pull it on a sheet. Grabs the gun, points it at Bond, pulls the trigger, and it clicks. And Bond says the line something to the effect of uh, "Your Smith and Wesson got six or something. What was the? Oh yes. Well, I mean, we're kind of skipping over a little bit, but this is just before this. He actually goes and meets with uh, with this other girl. Miss, oh right, Miss, yes, I forgot Miss about Miss Taro. Her. Yes, Miss Taro, uh, who is working for Doctor No. Yes, who but is... he ends up tricking her. Uh, he he ends up evading capture by this this guy following him. That car goes careening off the cliff yes. and burns. <laughs> and he makes some little quip to right. He and he, he gets... he's on his way to put out a fire or yeah. something. Like oh, no, that. no, he said they're. I think they're on their way to a funeral. Yeah, <laughs> well, I don't know why I got fire on that. 
Also, that scene is is ridiculous because Bond's car is implied to go under this piece of construction equipment, and there's no fucking way his car would have gotten through that scot-free. It would have smashed right into it. Well, no, not scot-free. He is Scottish. That's true. He's Scott Full. He's Scott Full. Scott Full. <laughs> so, yeah, he evades capture of that. He goes and meets up with uh, Miss Tara, who is shocked that he's there. But she's like, okay, well, I'll just string him along until, you know, Dent gets here. And then fucking she gets arrested because he has a car sent and she thinks it's a taxi, but it's someone there to arrest her. Right, right. Because she doesn't die. She just gets arrested. No, he just sends her off. Yeah. And then, yes. And then Dent shows up. And then that that thing. And we have to mention Miss Tarot is clearly a white person that is being made up to look like a Chinese person. And not the only time this happens. No, and and it's not very good either. No. Uh, This this I feel like is not quite as egregious as the later one. No, no, certainly not. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so then he goes to see the doctor. I, I don't know why I totally forgot the scene with Miss Tarot. I mean, but anyways. The, the so, doctor comes to see him because he comes there to kill him. Right, he comes there to kill him. Bond gets the upper hand, knocks his gun away. He has a little chat with him. And then, yeah, and then the doctor goes for the gun, pulls it out, click. Bond says, that's a Smith & Wesson. You've had your six. And then shoots him, just cold-bloodedly murders I him right there. I was going to say, that is the coldest Bond <laughs> kill. Outside of Quantum of Solace, that is the coldest Bond kill I've ever yeah, seen. He just fucking just straight up murders this guy right there. He's done. Bring a gun to a gunfight. Oh, wait, you did bring a gun. Oh, my bad. Good good show. So uh, back, back in the docks, uh, Bond has a Geiger counter, which measures radiation, and he's running it over Quarrel's boat and detects elevated levels of radiation. So clearly that ties into the rocks that they found. Um... And he eventually convinces Quarrel to take him out to Crab Key. Because Quarrel doesn't want to do it. Because there's a dragon. Yeah, there's a dragon there. And of course, Bond's like, ah, oh, you're a stupid native. Fuck you. And then he's like, no, dude, there's really a dragon there. And he's like, ha ha, you're funny. Yeah. Take me out to the damn island. Take me out to the island. Take me out to Crab Key. So they get to the island. And why? And <laughs> how dare you, Jason? <laughs> Shut I had mouth. five more verses to get through. We don't have time. We have so much time. <laughs> they arrive. Uh, uh, they arrive on the island, and and we see on the island one of them again. One of the most iconic moments in the Bond franchise. We see the delicious Honey Rider mm-hmm. emerge from the water like a uh, goddess, like a goddess in her cool bikini with the belt and the knife. Ursula Andress. Ursula Andress in her prime. Yeah, because she's a prolific actress. Yes. I remember well, from many other films. Her physical prime, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, she's, so Bond's pretty happy about that. She's being dubbed horribly. Being dubbed very horribly. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, Katrina asked me when I was watching it, she's like, what is that accent? And I didn't realize that she was dubbed, so I just Googled her, you know, Ursula Andress. Oh, she's Swedish. She's, it's Swedish. Mm. May not be. Who knows? Well, someone is... So the person doing the the, the dubbing is doing an impression of her okay. with less of an accent. Less of an accent. So okay. that's what they were going for. They didn't want to change her voice completely. That was a common... I think a common thing in those days. Oh, this is a common thing in many Bond films. Yes. Actually, um... Well, yeah, anyway, well... well did, did we, isn't Gold... Uh, Gold... And, isn't Goldfinger dubbed? Well, I mean, I guess I'll mention it right now. Dr. No, Joseph mm. Wiseman as Dr. No, is one of the only, I think, the only Bond villain in the early years that is not dubbed. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So most Was, was them... Goldfinger dubbed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. 100%. Right. Because when he was talking, it was just, it was just like, no, nonsense. Yeah. Remember? Because uh, uh, Honor was... Blackman was like, what? <laughs> what am I supposed to say to this? <laughs> So they're so they're on the beach and they get spotted by Doctor No's guards who are rolling around on a boat. So they hide behind some sand and they get yelled at by the the guards and then the guards machine gun the beach and give up pretty quickly and take off. 
Mm. Oh, <laughs> another example of horrible dubbing, that guy with the microphone. Oh, yeah, no, it's clearly the not megaphone. his voice. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it doesn't even, it's not even a good match. No, no, there's, there's no way that <laughs> voice came out of that man's mouth. <laughs> So they so they they escape that they uh, grab some shit. Honey grabs a shirt. That's the only thing she takes with her, um, and they head inland. Uh, she takes them to a radioactive swamp, which kind of confirms that there's some shit going on. I don't know why they had to go to a radioactive swamp. Why Bond? is she going to just point it at it from a distance and be like, "Yeah, we should probably avoid it." And let's just say this: Bond is kind of treating Coral like his slave. Yeah, he's like fetch my shoes. Yeah, exactly. He's like, uh, <laughs> "Dude, I brought you to the island. I wasn't here as your manservant. You're, you're all equals now." Okay, yeah. <laughs> like Jesus. So yeah, fetch my shit. Okay, and I and you know what, Coral does it just because he probably always has. It's yeah. just the yeah the culture of the time. The patriarchy Jamaica. is real. Yeah, absolutely. So they eventually do encounter the rumored dragon. Yes. Oh, actually, before we talk about that, I do want to play the conversation with the about the dragon. Sure. That they all three of them have together, and then I want to talk about it for just a second. Yeah, me too. Okay, so. <laughs> I told you there was something wrong about this place. That was a machine gun, not a dragon. Oh, there's a dragon here, too. She's right. You've seen it, hmm? Yes, I have. He had two great glaring eyes, short tail and pointed wings, and he was breathing fire. You don't believe me, do you? Little gal, I does. I tell you, Mr. Bond, let's get the hell out of here. Listen, both of you. There are no such things as dragons. What you saw was something that looked like one. I'm trying to think what it was. How do you know there aren't? Anyhow, what do you know about animals? Did you ever see a mongoose dance? Or a scorpion with sunstroke sting itself to death? Or a praying mantis eat her husband after making love? I hate to admit it, but I haven't. Well, I have. She's right. So first of all, we got to talk about how he's the... I mean, you got a white man, a woman, and a black man. Mm. And, of course... The white man is the point of logic here because he's like, there can't be a dragon. It's like, you silly woman and person of color. <laughs> like, that, that that struck me as a little, like... Very dismissive, very of the era. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they talk about that dragon and then her weird thing about a mongoose and yeah. a scorpion stinging itself. Like, what? Said, is, she's a very philosophical Swede. Oh, definitely. Um, but anyway, yes, the dragon shows so they, up. They, so they head in and they see the dragon for the first time. And the dragon is clearly an, an armored tank that has a mouth painted on it, uh, two large floodlights that resemble eyes, and is a flamethrower tank. Which, from a tactical perspective and what it's doing, seems very impractical. Uh, that you have a, a big tank out there to deal with people infiltrating your island and it's a flamethrower tank? Like, like if there was a massed group of people that were rushing you, like like Naruto running at Area 51, okay, the flamethrower tank might come in handy. But when it's three people, it seems kind of useless, but I'm immediately proven wrong because the tank immediately roasts poor Coral to, mm. to a pile of cinders. Poor Coral. <laughs> poor Coral. Hit thankless roll and then just incinerated. Yeah. So the, the, the tank incinerates him and then pulls up and two guys in hazmat suits jump out and uh, take Bond and uh, Honey Rider hostage. After a very awkward tussle. Yeah, after a very awkward tussle. They, they, they do put up a little bit of resistance, but the yeah. guys in the ha- hazmat suit clearly overpower them mm. <laughs> and uh, decide that they're going to, well, decide. They're probably ordered to. They take them back to Dr. No's lair. Bum, bum, bum. And they are treated as guests. At a five-star hotel that you can't leave and that drugs you. Yes. So, so, the Holiday Inn? Yeah, exactly. Just like the Holiday Inn. Never get that sponsor now. Yeah, uh, well. 
sorry guys, we really love your hotel. We would love free nights there. Because <laughs> we record off-site. All obviously. over the world. <laughs> We're actually in India today. That's right. It's quite nice here. It's uh, very warm. Yeah, Monsoon season's right around the corner. So when they awake from their little drug trip, uh, they are taken to dinner with Dr. No. Like so many great movies where they have to have, sit down and have a delicious meal with the villain. Yes. And he gets to explain his plan. Well, so first off, let's talk about Dr. No. Yeah, let's... <laughs> so Dr. No is a half-German, half-Chinese uh, man who... Oh, so how did they find someone of such uh, such wonderful heritage to play this role? Well, that's the interesting thing, Brendan. They didn't. Oh. They found a Canadian-American guy and said, can you play a German-Chinese guy? And he's like, fuck yeah, I can. And what... I mean, they don't do anything with his face, do they? Uh, well, you might think that they de- didn't, but they actually did. It looks like they taped his eyes back a little bit. Yeah, and they gave him a Mao Zedong haircut, uh, uh, like slick back uh, haircut, and he's wearing the like Chinese Mao kind of like collared sh- shirt top thing. Yeah, I don't know what you would call that. Yeah. Uh, if there's any Chinese listeners out there, please let us know. It's it's a little racist. Yeah, it, well, a little racist. <laughs> it's a lot racist. It's a lot racist. It's, I mean, it's no Mickey Rooney. Now I give him credit; he doesn't try to do a bad Chinese accent. Oh my god, can you imagine? I don't think we'd be talking about this movie today. But he also doesn't try to do a bad German accent either. He just does a British accent. He just yeah. talks. Like an English person, uh, like honestly, if they had gone full tilt with this racism, I don't know if this movie would be talked about as highly. Well, yeah, but I mean, people still talk about Breakfast at Tiffany's because it's a pretty good movie. What are you talking about? Mickey Rooney's not in that film. I don't know what you're <laughs> what you're talking about. Is he even integral to the plot? I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. I just remember liking it. And then when that happened, you were like, "Oh, whoa! What are we doing I here?" Was, I, even when I saw it, which would have been in the mid two thousands, I was like, "Ooh." <laughs> Oh my. That does not age well. So the doctor explains to them that he works for Spectre, which is a... The first time, first big major mention of this. First mention of Spectre in the film series. Uh, In the book, Spectre wasn't actually mentioned until Thunderball, I believe. You know what Spectre stands for? I happen to have it right in front of me, Brendan. Spectre stands for the, uh, for Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. I think that's hilarious. That is hilarious. Uh, like maybe, maybe not. Maybe don't name your organization after the illegal things that you do. Yeah, well, they, they just want to be clear where they stand. You know, <laughs> they don't want any, they don't want any any question as to what they're about. So he's part of Spectre, which is essentially I know they would not describe themselves this way necessarily, but maybe they would given their focus on revenge and extortion. But they uh, they're te- an international terrorist organization. Oh yeah, of supervillains of which Doctor No is one of them, and of course, as we know and later learn on, is run by Ernst Stavros Blofeld. Which I was surprised. I was always under the impression that he was in this movie, but I guess I was wrong. No, he doesn't actually. I think show up until Next one? no, from because with Love? I think From Russia with Love deals with Smirsh Thunderball. Maybe, yeah, Thunderball, I think he it, definitely yes. shows he's up. definitely in Thunderball. I was going to say, he definitely shows up in the Connery ones. Because Thunderball is the reason, because the, the weird rights issues with Thunderball is the reason that Blofeld was eventually abandoned as a character. They killed him off in the beginning of, uh, was it Your Honor Majesty's Secret And he's Service? not even credited as Blofeld. Yeah, he's not even credited as Blofeld, but yeah, they kill him off immediately because they, they lost the rights because of an issue with the writer of the film, and that wasn't actually resolved until very recently, um, and that's why we have the movie Spectre now. Because that issue was resolved and they were Was Blofeld Inspector? Did you not see it? No. Oh, me neither. But, no, the... Spoiler alert. uh, Christopher Waltz's character is Blofeld. Christoph Waltz? Yes. Christoph Waltz. I mean, his friends call him Christopher. Christopher, yes. You can call him whatever you want. Ooh, that's a bingo. It's a bingo. Yeah, no, he's he's Blofeld in that. Okay, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, After we said... Anyway, so yeah, those were... But yeah, so that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Dr. No. Dr. No. He is a, a villain of sorts. Because uh, all he wants to do, Brendan, 
is he wants to be able to take down missiles. Mm. Uh, and he's using radio technology to do it. And they're going to test this by taking down a Mercury rocket launch. Now, I don't know how much you know about the space program. Not right a lot. Now, but the Mercury 7 were the original seven astronauts, and the Mercury rocket was the initial space vehicle that was used to send Alan B. Shepard into space, oh. and John Glenn into orbit, and Gus Grissom, and all those guys, except for... One of them, who later ended up going up on Skylab. Well, did. we should mention this is not this is seven years before Neil Armstrong, right? Yes, yes. Which so is, this is crazy to think is, about. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is 1962. Yeah, and so this probably would have been filmed in 1961. So that's like seven or eight. Not years. even five years after Sputnik was launched, the right. first satellite. This is so very early in very space early in the space program. Um, so yeah, he's planning to bring down this Mercury rocket with uh, his radio tech. So. They finish dinner, and for dessert, they're given a beating. <laughs> delicious. A delicious beating. And they're pl- and Bond and Ryder are separated, and Bond is placed in a brig. And this is where the shoe comes into it, because there is a very poorly placed grate in his cell that is very weak and has a very big hole that he can get in. So he peels up, he takes off his shoe and uses his shoe to beat through right. the, uh, the grate and get into the tunnel. He, we have a, a solid snake-esque crawling through a tunnel, um, which is fun until the water comes through. The bunch of, I, I think it's actually hot water because it's all steaming. Uh, and so Bond holds on. He wraps his hands up and grabs onto the side of the tunnel and just lets the water wash over him. And now he's clean. He's born anew. He's born anew uh, and takes a new identity. And when he <laughs> gets out of the... Uh, uh, he, he goes all hitman on this guy. He gets out and he knocks the guy out and right. takes his uniform. Or his hazmat suit. I At suppose. least in this movie too, I can buy that because a yeah. lot of movies that happens, and I'm like, how do you not know that's him? Yeah. But this, he's wearing a hazmat. He's wearing suit. a full hazmat face. Barely mask. see yeah. his face. Yeah. So he so he manages to get into the control room where they are getting ready for this experiment, uh, and Doctor No is spinning everything up, and and uh, they got all the computers, all the very 60s futuristic technology, yes. and they're watching on the monitors the space launch. So Bond kind of wanders in and is standing there when Doctor No notices him and is like, Chang, you're not at your position. Get to your position. And so he's like, uh, uh, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he, I don't think he says that. I'm so I'm glad I'm he sure didn't. I'm sure he didn't. Is there, a movie, it. is there a movie where he's made up to look Japanese? I, in my mind, for some reason, I'm seeing Sean Connery in Yellowface, and I don't know why. I think it is in one of the Bond movies. Yeah, maybe. There, there, there's a good chance. Uh, if I had to guess, based on the tenor of the movies, I would think it would probably be Diamonds Are Forever, because that's Hello. a silly movie. But I'm the Emperor of Japan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, Kung Fu. Uh, so he goes off to his position. I guess he must figure out just by default where the position is. He's not told, but he goes up on the on the rack where the guy's standing, and there's like a, a wheel there, and they start the process, and they're getting ready to engage the device, and he just grabs the wheel that he's nearby and starts twisting it, just twisting it and spinning it, and apparently that overloads the system. Yep. And everything starts to go to shit, and chaos ensues, and he's like, no! Ah! And they all evacuate. The rocket launch is pulled off successfully. The radio doesn't interfere with it. So Bond begins his process. He's got to find Honey Rider. So what's the best way to find well, Honey Rider? Well, first he has his fight with Doctor No. Yes, 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 because that happens like almost right away. Right. They have their pretty anticlimactic fight. Yes. And Doctor No is sent into the into the, into the radiation. Water. We should pool. know too. Doctor No has like metal arms, metal hands. Yes, that is. And he can crush things with his hand. Very yeah, easily. that's referred to very briefly. And then uh, yeah, I, yeah, I totally forgot and about that fact by the time this fight happened. Because of those metal hands, as he's trying to reach up and get out of the steaming hot water. Water, radioactive water. Yeah. He slips and falls in and is killed. Yeah, not not the most uh, uh, grand exit for a Bond villain, but no, he falls into the water and drowns. And then yes, then he's trying to find Honey Rider. So then he takes off. He's looking to find Honey Rider, 
Um, and his his method defining Honey Rider is just to randomly assault people until he finds her. And yes. he does that. He throws a guy over a stairway. Like, yeah, he's just beating the shit out of people. He manages to find her. He grabs her. They run out in the chaos. Uh, everybody's going nuts. And they run down to the dock, and there's a boat with two guys in it. And so they jump down in the boat, and Bond beats the fuck out of them and dumps them in the water. And they take off. Now, the thing about that boat, Brendan, if you'll notice, is that they could have easily fit about 10 people in that boat to take with them. Fuck and everyone them. else. But fuck everyone else. They just take off. Yeah. And so they... You can't, you can't fuck a lady with eight people watching. So they take off as the island presumably explodes behind them. I think if we hear it, we don't oh, see it. No, we see it. Do we actually we see, see it? We see the facility explode for yeah. sure. So the, it all explodes behind them. They take off. They run out of gas. <laughs> so they're sitting in the ocean and Bond's like, well, I know what we could do. And they start to have a little canoodling. But then Felix shows up and ruins it. And he's like, uh, and Bond says to them, do you folks need a hand? Or do you need a hand? And he's like, well, uh, clearly you don't need a hand. <laughs> and they start towing them. And they start towing them. And the movie ends with, uh, uh, well, it looks like Honey Rider's going to blow him. She gets down on her knees in I front thought that of was going to yeah. happen too. <laughs> but then sits down beside him and Bond undoes the tow rope and the, the boat with Felix and the Marines that he brought with them that he the Bond had earlier asked him to bring. Uh, they take off and the boat is left in the water and Bond fucks on the ocean. The and end. they leave Bond and Honey Rider to die in the middle of the ocean. That's right. And we never see James Bond again. The end. So that is Dr. No. That is Dr. No. This is the first Bond film. So we've got a lot to get. We we got into a lot of this stuff with Goldfinger. So mm-hmm. we'll skip the whole Ian Fleming thing. because we, yeah. we, we already talked about that. We talked about Ian Fleming quite a bit. But I want to talk about the two people who are basically the producers of this franchise for a long time. Harry Saltzman and Albert Broccoli. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, I don't know, I'm a child. That Broccoli name makes me laugh. Yep. Uh, so Harry Saltzman, uh, he gained the rights for the novel, but he didn't want to go through with it. He didn't uh, want to go through with the project. It took Albert Broccoli attempting to buy it from Harry Saltzman to make him want to do it. Saltzman yeah. didn't want to sell the rights, so they kind of formed this partnership. And... They had a hard time making this movie. In fact, what I think is really funny is they presented the idea of a Bond film to a number of Hollywood studios Mm. first, and they said, quote, they're too British, (laughs) and quote, too blatantly sexual. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, eventually, though, they got United Artists to jump on board. Smart move, United Artists. Well, because you have to think, too, like this, he would have had these rights in like the the late 50s, early 60s, right? I'd say mid to late 50s. Yeah, yeah. so this was before the British invasion. This was before the Beatles. This was before Americans became interested in British culture in a way they hadn't been uh, since the revolution. So, so they, uh, yeah. So, the, so I can see why maybe he, the studios thought that the British thing wouldn't fly. And obviously, a few years later, if they had delayed, it would have probably been made immediately because it's like, yeah, cool British guy. Of course, we'll make a movie about that. Yeah. So, uh, and originally, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier. The, the first film they were originally going to make was actually the eighth Bond novel, Thunderball. That was going to be the first Bond movie. Which, by the way, just just to say, I've seen Thunderball many years ago, and I listened to the James Bonding podcast about it, and they reconfirmed that Thunderball is possibly the most boring James Bond movie. It's up there with Moonraker for the just the just boring fight scenes underwater. <laughs> I kind of I kind of liked Moonraker for its silliness. It is dumb, but but like the fight scenes in Moonraker are so bad because they're they're in space, but they play them like they're in Thunderball and underwater, so they're real slow. Oh, the zero G fighting! Yeah. Is the oh, it's so oh. But that movie has Jaws. That movie does have Jaws. Jaws sh- is cool. The shark. 
Isn't that the movie where Jaws redeems himself? Yeah, and he, and he gets married. <laughs> he gets married, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, yeah, so they were going to do Thunderball, but there was a dispute between the screenplay's co-author, Kevin McClory, and, of course, Mr. Ian Fleming. That's the guy. Kevin McClory is the guy that held up these rights for so long uh, because of Thunderball. And, and like I say, it was only resolved a few years ago. Kevin McClory's been dead for, I think, a decade or something. Uh, most of the most of the I think the only person still alive is Barbara Broccoli, who's the one who still owns who holds the rights. Barbara Broccoli sounds like a Veggie Tales character. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, so as a result of all this, uh, they chose Doctor No. They're like, we'll go with Doctor No. The timing was really good though, because there were a lot of claims at the time. Uh, the American rocket testing at Cape Canaveral. They had a lot of problems with rockets going astray, so yeah. they kind of were like, "Hey, this kind of works out because this is the plot we're doing." Ripped from the headlines. Yeah, uh, the producers offered Doctor No to several people to direct. There's a list of names, nobody like really well known, except notably Goldfinger director Guy Hamilton mm-hmm. almost stepped on board to do this one, but it, all of them turned it down. Mm-hmm. They all said, "No, this movie's not going to do anything." Yeah, what's the point? Uh, they finally managed to sign Terrence Young as the director, who had a long background with. Uh, Albert Broccoli's uh, company, War- Warwick Films, which, okay. despite the name, is not a uh, company owned by Warwick Davis. He should probably look into buying it. <laughs> so Terrence Young had this idea of, like, a way to do things. And he did impose a lot of stylistic stuff that holds up to this day mm. with the Bond series. But he said, quote, um, a lot of things in this film, the sex and violence and so on, if played straight would be objectionable and we're never going to get past the censors. And he said, but the moment you take the Mickey out, as he said, mm. put the tongue out in the cheek, it seems to disarm. Yeah. So their way of getting past censors a lot of it, because 1962, it's still like right in that kind of sweet spot where you couldn't really do everything yet. Mm-hmm. It was close. Easy Rider was like 1969, I had think. The, had the production code gone away by this Not point? quite yet, I don't think. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't know, because The Wild Bunch was like 1960. Yeah. So... I, it was it was dicey. Great I fucking the, movie though, eh? I've never seen the Wild. Oh, Bunch. dude, the Wild Bunch is awesome. But I think it's the thing where, like, also, I think I think a lot of movies didn't want to be rated R, yeah, or whatever, because you know you, you limit your audience, especially in those days when yeah. the moral compass was so high. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you you rate your movies such that theaters probably wouldn't even show it. Yeah, a lot of theaters refused to show yeah. R-rated movies, which is so different. Now. Or, or whatever the equivalent was back then, because I don't think the MPAA rated adult existed, or something. Yeah. yeah. So. The producers asked for financing for the movie. United Artists put up $1 million, which, I mean, is pretty good now, but for a movie like this at the time... Not, know, a huge, not a huge not budget. Not a huge budget, but not too bad. Uh, they did, however, the UK arm of United Artists uh, provided an extra $100,000 just to create the climax with Dr. No's base exploding. That's cool. Um, as a result of this low budget, though, Jason, here we let's get into this. Only one sound editor was hired. Wow. Normally, there are two for sound effects and dialogue, and many pieces of scenery were made in cheaper cheaper ways. I actually noticed this when I was watching this, but M's office features cardboard paintings, <laughs> and the door is covered in a leather-like plastic. Also, the aquarium in Doctor No's base yeah. being magnified stock footage of goldfish, <laughs> and they actually have a line of dialogue explaining this. He well, says, "I go like, oh, because of the glass. Yeah, it's the glass magnified. is so thick; it magnifies the fish." Yeah. yeah. Um, furthermore, when the art director, this art director Sid Kane, found out his name was not in the credits. Albert Broccoli gave him a golden pen to compensate, stating that he did not want to spend money to make the credits again. This is a tight fucking budget, yeah. Jason. This is unlike any other Bond movie. Wow, the, the gold pen movie. was cheaper. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, 
Albert Broccoli originally hired these two guys, uh, Richard Maybaum and his friend Wolf Mankiewicz, mm. which is the best name I've That's ever heard. That's a great heard. name. They were originally going to write Dr. No's screenplay. However, an initial draft of the screenplay was rejected because they wrote the character of Dr. No, mm. you ready for this, mm-hmm. as a monkey. Dr. No what? was originally going to be a villainous monkey. Somebody's seen Bedtime for Bonzo too many times. <laughs> so Mankiewicz left the movie because Albert Broccoli was like, absolutely not. <laughs> Mankiewicz is like, it's the monkey or me? <laughs> or actually, no, it's the monkey and me. It's like, you don't have that monkey, I'm gone. Exactly. <laughs> then he went, went to write it at Dunstan Checks In, yep. uh, Congo. <laughs> Wrote a lot of monkey-themed movies. Gorillas in the Mist. <laughs> uh, so... Mankiewicz left, and Richard Maybaum stayed on and wrote a second version more closely in line with the novel. Uh, Mankiewicz eventually just had his name removed from the credits because he watched early rushes of the movie, and he said, <laughs> with one of those great moments where, like, one of the, in retrospect, just, like, a, a couldn't be more wrong, but he watched early rushes, and he's like, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> so he's like, I want my name off of it. And funny enough... This lady named Johanna Harwood mm. is actually probably the biggest saving grace of James Bond, which is really funny because you think of James Bond, you don't think of like a f- female point of view, but no. she comes in, she's a script doctor, and she kind of comes in and puts elements in it that are more in tune with like a British character. Yeah. She puts a lot of like so called quote unquote British elements to the movie. She Brits it up, yes, so to speak. <laughs> There's a lot of differences and similarities from the book. I don't want to get into the, too much of that. There's you know, just keep in mind there's a lot of differences. He fights a giant squid in the book, which is not in the movie. Uh, I'm assuming that would have looked a lot like that scene depicted in Ed Wood where Mert Landau has to fight that off. But I assume it, it follows the book, mostly. For the most part, because, there's a lot of stuff that's different, though. Because there are some James Bond books that have been turned into movies that are nothing like the book. Yeah, like and now, they're, now they're out of books, aren't they? Uh, yes, yeah. Well, there's that's the thing. Okay, so of Ian Fleming's novels, they've done pretty much... They've, they've used all the titles, I think, and they've done pretty much everything. There are many other James Bond books that have been written by other authors. Um, Stephen King. <laughs> I forget the guys. There's one particular guy that wrote a bunch of them, and then there's other authors that have done them as well. Um, but like like Moonraker, for instance, in the movie, it's a silly movie, but the book is about Hugo Drax, who is, first of all, a weirdo redhead, who and it has something to do with nuclear missiles, like him wanting to launch nuclear missiles. It has nothing to do with like the space program or going into space. <laughs> Moonraker's like a code name for the missiles. Um, so do you know who the original choice was for James Bond? Who they sought, a, sought to get their absolute top choice? They Sir wanted Lawrence to get. Olivier. No, I think uh, you'll like this. So Albert Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, their absolute dream casting is mm. they wanted to get Cary Grant. Oh, wow. Yeah, that... Because Cary Grant, if you watch North by Northwest, that is a precursor to Bond. I, I you're, mm, that's, that's, I love Cary Grant, and uh, I think he would have been fine in the role, but I, the thing about James Bond is that in the books, he's often described as a brute, mm. and Cary Grant's a little too slick in my mind for that. Like, he's he doesn't come across that way, whereas Sean Connery has that bit of darkness in him, like that... Like, like he could fuck up a guy and he does like he when, when, under- he, when he fucking shoots the doctor you know like that's cold, cold-blooded cold. shit I can't uh, see Cary Grant doing that no and the other thing is too the other thing that stopped them from make, trying to basically hiring Cary Grant is that they knew that they could only get him to commit to one film yeah when they hired Sean Connery they had him commit to five exactly uh, another potential bond included David Niven 
who actually ended up kind of playing James Bond in 1967's Casino Royale. Well, he shared, uh, among a, the 15 other people that played James Bond. Yeah, movie. Woody Allen, I believe, plays his son in that movie. Woody Allen's the best Bond, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's even a report that even Roger Moore was asked to play the first Bond. Hmm. I mean, in his autobiography, he says he was never approached, yeah. but apparently the idea was there. Uh, but they thought he was too young at the time. Perhaps a shade too pretty is the quote. <laughs> um, but ultimately they went to 30-year-old Sean Connery, hmm. which is maybe the youngest Bond. He also looks way older than 30. Uh, yeah, but he doesn't look terribly old. No, it's all that smoking. <laughs> um, Ian Fleming was opposed to it, though, from the get-go. He said he thought Connery looked too rugged. He didn't like the fact that he was Scottish and not British. <laughs> um, of course and it was it, it's often been reported uh, erroneously that he won the, he won the role from a contest they had a contest called find james bond this casting contest that went across the country uh also and, before i forget i have to take issue you said uh, you thought he was mad because he was scottish not british he was mad because he was scottish not english because scots whether they like it or not are brits at the well, moment well he said scottish rather than a brit this yeah. is his oh really? his words yeah. well what an asshole not considering the scots british <laughs> but yeah uh, anyway this this fine james bond contest goes on but uh, that's not how connery get hi- gets hired but they do do that con- they do that contest and you know obviously no one gets apart yeah oh well what happened actually there was a winner the winner of that contest his name is peter anthony mm. is a 20 year 28 year old model uh he had a apparently he had a gregory peck quality to him Ugh. and uh but he proved unable to cope with the role he just he couldn't do the acting. It just wasn't working out. Uh, so Connery meets with... Connery meets with Broccoli and Saltzman, by the way, and just comes in looking scruffy, unpressed suit, <laughs> just like not like Bond would look. But he basically just charms them. Yeah. And he comes in and just... Uh, he's got this macho, like, devil-may-care attitude. You know what I mean? Um, and when he left... This is, I mean, I, you know, some of this stuff you got to take with a grain of salt. Yeah. But when he left, apparently the producers were like, that's our man. <laughs> like, immediately. Well, that, that often does happen. You just, if you see the person, they just, sometimes they just click and you're like, that's our guy. Here's another interesting thing, Jason. Our old friend, friend of the podcast, Julie Christie, oh. was considered for the role of Honey Rider. Oh, that would have been nice. But they, oh, here's 1962 coming into play. Yeah. That idea was discarded because the producers felt her boobs were not big enough. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> uh, just two weeks before filming began, actually, Ursula Andress was chosen. And after the producers saw a picture of her taken by her husband, to appear more convincing as a Jamaican, Andress had a tan painted on her and ultimately had her lines redubbed by voice actress Nikki Vanderzil due to Andress's heavy Swiss-German accent. Wow. For Bond's antagonist, Dr. No, Ian Fleming wanted his friend Noel Coward... Hmm. who would later, uh, well, earlier in this, collaborated with David Lean, which we will see on this list at some point. Yep. Now that I mention it, that'll probably be what we roll, because that's what happened last time. <laughs> yep. um, and hilariously, I think this is the best. They offered Dr. No to Noel Coward, and Coward responded with a telegram that simply said, no, no, no. <laughs> what a funny guy. Uh, Fleming, Ian Fleming also considered his step-cousin, a certain Christopher Lee, oh. uh, would be good for the role of Dr. No. Well, given that Christopher Lee did actual like spy work during the war, he would have brought a certain authenticity to it. But unfortunately, by, by the time Ian Fleming suggested that to the producers, they had already chosen Joseph Wiseman, who, of course, was giving Chinese face makeup. <laughs> Uh, Jack Lord as Felix Leiter, of course. Uh, this is Jack Lord's only appearance as Felix Leiter. Oh, and also, sorry, Christopher Lee does eventually show up. Oh, he Man with the Golden Gun. Scaramanga and the Man yeah. with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he comes in later, yeah, for sure. Uh, but Jack Lord comes in as Felix Leiter, 
And this is the only time he plays them because he wants more money for the other movies. Yeah. And they're like, no. <laughs> uh, they actually... Okay, so the girl who plays Sylvia Trench, I believe she's also dubbed. Yeah. But she was going to be actually a reoccurring girlfriend for Bond. Oh. But she does show up in From Russia With Love. So she's one of the few that actually shows up more than once in these wow. movies. Yeah. Um, but no, they that idea was abandoned. So it's, like, so it's her. It was in multiple movies. There's that Sheriff Roscoe... Was it Sheriff... I want to say Roscoe P. Coltrane, but that might be from a different thing. That's but, Smokey but, and the Bandit. Okay. But no, there's, okay, that's Smokey and the Bandit. But no, there, there's like a Southern Sheriff that I think is in Live and Let Die that or shows that, up in another wait, is James that Dukes Bond? of Hazard? Roscoe P. Coltrane? No, that's Boss That's Hog. Boss Hog. Okay. But I, either way, there, there is a dumb Southern Sheriff that is in two Bond movies. <laughs> okay. And Jaws shows up in more than Yes, and too. Jaws, of course. And so junior, yeah. this is this is one of the this is one of my favorite things about the production of the movie is the scene with the tarantula. Hmm. I don't know if you noticed this, but that tarantula is not on Sean Connery. So what they did is they placed a sheet of glass between him and the spider because Sean Connery has a phobia of spiders. I don't blame him. And he said, "I nope." Yeah. And they're like, "Well, can we put glass between you?" He's like, "You better make sure that stays on the glass." Yeah. <laughs> so it does. When you see the shots, of course, of the spider actually crawling on someone, yeah. that's a stunt man. Uh, that's a stunt man named Bob Simmons, who said that out of all his years as a stuntman, was the scariest stunt he's ever done. <laughs> I bet. Man. Uh, <laughs> so they they were going to shoot another scene where Honey Rider is tortured by being tied to the ground uh, with crabs. But <laughs> since the crabs were sent frozen from the Caribbean, they did not move much during filming, so the scene was altered to have Honey slowly drowning. Yeah. So I guess the last little thing here is that this film actually influenced a lot of uh, women's fashion. Oh. With the bikini worn by Ursula Andress proving to be a huge hit. It made kind of made her an international celebrity oh, for a while. Iconic to this day. Yeah, she, she actually even says, The bikini made me into a success. As a result of starring in Dr. No as the first Bond girl, I was given the freedom to take my pick of future roles and to become financially independent. It's also been claimed that the use of the swimwear in Dr. No led to the biggest impact on the history of the bikini. Jason, this is a major film. A major film, this is a major moment, and it's called back to at least a couple times in the Bond franchise. We see Halle Berry's character, what was it, Jax? Or whatever the hell her name was. In Die Another Day, she comes out of the water similarly. And then, of course, Daniel Craig does the same thing in Casino Royale, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, they, <laughs> they kind of copy that Honey Rider thing. Yeah. Um, but let's get into this movie. We already mentioned that it cost a million, made 60. Let's go back into that's this That's a good return on a movie, folks. I mean, that's why they made, like, what, 24 other ones? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, so... Oh, so right away, there's a reference to him, Bond's previous mission, uh, keeping him in the hospital for six months. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see that movie. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think that that was specifically referencing other books. Like, there are, apparently in this movie, I don't know the series well enough to say, but apparently there are a few references to Bond, Bond's previous missions being, like, you know, stuff that had happened in the books that they just hadn't shown yet, or, or you know... And, of course, the Beretta, as I mentioned, being an element from the books that they... Uh, <laughs> just threw mocked. out yeah. mocked and threw out I also want to say Hollywood producers of today take heed and listen you don't need to start out a first film with an origin no we exactly. jump right in Bond's already an agent we don't it's, We don't see him as a young man getting hired onto the agency no it's established pretty quick uh, that okay he's a spy and he does spy stuff easy yeah well we we sort of did eventually get the uh, the Bond origin story um, in Casino Royale uh, you mentioned last week uh, oh yeah, kind of yeah, in like flashbacks I think right, sort of. 
Yeah, well, because he because in Casino Royale, it's before he becomes a 007, isn't it? Because initially, I don't remember. It's been a long time, I understand. But like that, we see him beating the guy up in black and white in the beginning of the movie, and then yeah. eventually, like he's working for MI6, but then he eventually gets ascended to the uh, 00 status. Well, I mean, as much as I like that movie, that's the total. That's the difference between a modern film and like an older one a lot of times is that you don't have to get into the origin like he's a secret agent boom well that, and and we've seen that uh especially in our uh, look at different remakes of how modern remakes are much more explicit about what's going on generally than the older movies well, are and this is why i really liked i mean i'm a big marvel guy and that's a lot of the reason why I really liked the new Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Because what one, or I guess there's two now, but yeah. the new Spider-Man movie, they didn't bother with the origin. They we all just know like, how Spider-Man came to be. Yeah, he's Spider-Man. Exactly. We don't need to see Uncle Ben killed again. Yeah, I thought that, that was that was great. When they said there was not going to be an origin story, I'm like, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's still early on in his like spider yeah. his spider career, but we don't need to see all of it. Did you notice like the the first utterance of the classic martini line, which yeah. you mentioned, bartenders hate, shaken not stirred, yeah. is not said by Bond. No, it's literally the waiter being like, <laughs> I brought you your martini, sir, shaken not stirred like you asked. No, he even doesn't, doesn't even say the exact thing. He just says, mixed as you said, not stirred. There you go, right. Which I think is funny that the first mention of that is just a throwaway line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was a fun, maybe that was a fun Easter egg for book fans. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Miss Taro, we talk about her a little bit. Obviously, a white lady mm-hmm. playing uh, an an Asian lady. A good chunk of the ethnic roles in this movie were played by people who are not the ethnicity that thankfully, they claim to be. Thankfully, Quarrel was the correct casting. Oh well, yeah, they they yeah. <laughs> uh, well, actually, funny enough, I think they may have done a correct uh, casting for Miss Taro originally because they were going to get a lady who won Miss Jamaica. Oh, okay, uh, but she turned it down because she's like, oh, so this role, I'm just in a towel kissing a man in bed i'm okay yeah. thanks <laughs> uh but miss taro's supposed to be chinese isn't she is she supposed to be i don't know because it's a white lady so yeah. i'm not sure no, what's that's, going that's on that's the impression i got with the dark hair and the kind of pulled back eyes oh yeah she they're not doing that as i didn't find they were doing the eyes thing though maybe think, it's just supposed to be indeterminate i think they definitely did it with dr no yes oh which yeah. which that makes me wonder what she's supposed to they, be they literally just made dr no look like mao <laughs> made a white guy look like mao uh, I wrote down that that's that's understandable that she didn't want to uh, be that role yeah. or play that role, but also like she didn't include the part where Bond takes her towel off and I think he bites it. <laughs> there was yeah. a moment where he takes her towel off as she walks away and he just goes Argh! like takes a little. He's an animal. <laughs> oh, what well, another thing I really liked about this movie is the scene where Dent comes in. I I don't know if this is one of the few. Maybe this is like an early Bond staple, mm. but we see him actually getting the room ready. Yeah, for Dent's arrival, mm. there's that all that setup. And I think in a lot of Bond movies, some you know the villain comes in and Bond's just ready to go, and he has something set up for them. I like seeing the preparation. Well, that's and, and you can say that about this movie because I, I joked that this movie was a lot of walking around, and there is a lot of that in this movie, like walking places, going places. But then yeah, things like that too, setting up. Like it's not again, movies today tend to get more quicker to the point, and that's good and bad depending on what the situation is. But yeah, it's nice to see like a spy doing some spy work because we don't really see James Bond do much actual so-called spy work. Yeah, in a lot of the movies, it's like what they did too much of in that uh, in that Thomas Jane Punisher movie, yes. where you saw him doing a lot of like secret spy work rather than just fucking killing people. Yeah, which I gotta say, I do like that Punisher movie, yes. but there's a lot of the, <laughs> walking the, sneaking around. That that popsicle scene is uh, very fun. I don't remember that. It's where they, he's got the guy hanging upside down, and he's making <gasps> the impression that he's gonna burn him with a hot poker, but he pokes him with a popsicle. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Um, 
oh, I want to play this clip. Sure. Because this caught me off guard. But this is a scene where Honey Rider tells Bond a little story. Mm-hmm. Her story caught me off guard and his reaction kind of caught me off guard. So let's just listen to this for a second. Didn't anyone in Kingston help? Well, there was this man who owned the place where we were living. He let me stay on for a while without paying. Then one night he came up to my room. Well, you know. I scratched his face and then... But he was stronger than I was. And what happened after that? I put a black widow spider underneath his mosquito net. A female and they're the worst. It took him a whole week to die. What did I do wrong? Well, it wouldn't do to make a habit of it. So she... It's kind of a harrowing story yeah. of like some guy tried to rape her. Yeah. She says... She got back at him in the possible best possible way ever. Like she had him yeah. slowly die, and then Bond is all, mm, "I wouldn't do that." Well, I think I think <laughs> Bond is legitimately like a little bit shaken that she's capable of that, and given what happened with the spider before, he's just like, eh, you prom- "Don't it's, make a habit of that." It's yeah. just a weird, <laughs> it's just a weird response to I was assaulted to like, "Oh well, I wouldn't do that again." <laughs> well, his uh, I think his response is, "We know how James Bond acts around women." He's like, "I don't want to get killed." <laughs> I don't know oh. that he's going to straight up rape a girl, but he's come pretty close a few times. Um, no, he did. We we talked about Goldfinger, Jason. <laughs> That's we, true. We know the barn scene. Yeah, but she got into it eventually, right? <sighs> yeah, because it's that movie thing where it's at first it appears to be a rape scene, but then once the lady enjoys it, yeah, because that's how it works all yeah, the time. All, right? all the time, yeah. God damn it, nineteen sixties. <laughs> Oh, God. And we talked about Dr. No, of course, being pretty racist. Yeah. There's also a little, like, music cue when he comes in. It's like... It's one of those, it's one of those if a music cue could be racist, it's probably that one. It, it, it's the equivalent of, like, if an Asian character comes in and you hear that... Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just wrote there's a little, like, or- orient tinge to the yes. music. Uh, and I guess the only other thing I have is that Bond going through the tunnel made me think of Shawshank Redemption. Oh, okay. Like I say, I thought of I thought of Solid Snake crawling around uh, <laughs> fucking air vents. There you go. Um, I mean, we'll jump into the critique. Do you have anything else you want to say before we go into the uh, the Oscars BAFTAs stuff? Uh, I mean... Say the, t- say the running time. It uh, was 109 minutes? There you go. <laughs> That's your bit now, Jason. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this is Dr. No. There's no Oscars, no BAFTAs. No. Not a big shock. However, which I think is funny because she doesn't actually say a single line, but Ursula Andrews does receive a Golden Globe for most promising newcomer female. Yeah, we know what was promising. <laughs> hey. So I do want to talk a little bit more, though, because uh, about the critique of the movie, because... In late 1961, mm-hmm. United Artists starts this huge marketing campaign to make James Bond like a well-known name in North America. Newspapers received a box set of Bond's books, as well as a booklet detailing, detailing the Bond character and a picture of Ursula Andress. Um, they made licensing deals, having merchandising tie-ins with drinks, tobacco, which is hilarious because you would never do that now. Oh, I love the idea of like James Bond endorsed tobacco. <laughs> yeah. Men's clothing, car companies... Uh, the campaign also focused on Ian Fleming's name because the books the books were successful, but yeah. not on a major scale. They were yeah. minorly successful. Uh, and, and then after Dr. No had a successful run in Europe, Sean Connery and the director did a cross-country tour. Mm-hmm. 
which featured screening previews for the film and press conferences. There was a big premiere in Kingston, where most of the film was set in Jamaica. They leaned heavily into the sexual aspects of it. They started up putting out that 007 logo. Mm-hmm. Like, this was heavily well marketed. This was like one of the... I think this is one of the best examples of marketing basically making a movie successful. Probably ahead of its time, I would say. Yeah. Um, actually, and upon its release, Dr. No actually gets a pretty mixed reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, time Magazine called it Bond a blithering bounder and a great big hairy marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> well, which, yes, Sean Connery, certainly. Big, hairy marshmallow. Who almost always manages to seem slightly silly. Stanley Kaufman said he felt the film never decides whether it is suspense or suspense spoof. Uh, he also did not like Connery in the role or the Fleming novels to begin with. <laughs> the Vatican spoke, condemning Dr. No, describing it as a dangerous mixture of violence, vulgarity, sadism, and sex. Oh. While the Kremlin said that Bond was the personification of capitalist evil. Both, just, so, I was going to say, just wait till the next movie, guys. <laughs> so because of the Kremlin and the Vatican, obviously two different things, yeah. helps the film. Yeah, no doubt. Those that, controversies boost it. That's the thing. The Catholic Church never seems to understand, unless they've got some back-end deal going on with the movie studios. But anytime they're opposed to something, it just helps make it more money. Yeah, people want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because of this... All right, on the other side of the coin, we have people like Leonard Mosley in the Daily Express that says, Dr. No is fun all the way. And this is my favorite part. And even the sex is harmless. <laughs> oh, my. Nobody got VD. <laughs> uh, the Observer noted that it was full of submerged self-parody. The Guardian called it crisp and well-tailored and a neat and gripping thriller. I feel like the, the integration of humor into it was something that, that wasn't done as much back then. And I think that's a lot of those guys just couldn't couldn't understand that approach. Like the guy that says that he was he didn't understand whether it was a, a suspense or a suspense spoof. Like the, the idea of having humor in a movie that ostensibly is a serious spy piece, I suppose, is, was a little maybe foreign perhaps. Which, which is crazy to me though because like I, like I mentioned earlier, North by Northwest, yeah. that movie does have a lot of humor. What year did that come out? 1959. Okay, so that's been around for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah that, that movie had a lot of humor and but it, actually if you look back at that one that was also kind of dismissed as yeah. a as a lesser hitchcock work which it now looked at as one of his best well I, I, again it's it's the, his most populist film for sure it's there, there was definitely and there still is a bias against comedy in movies these days is mm-hmm. the, the movie can't be a legendary movie if it's funny you know yeah oh yeah like the, well look like i mean the bfi i think is more open to comedies mm-hmm. but if you look at the afi there's not a lot of comedy yeah. There's Hangover, I assume. Uh, not on the AFI. Maybe on the, <laughs> maybe on the next one. Honestly, I'd fight for that being on the next AFI list. That's well, a, actually, a, if there's any comedy that should be on the AFI list, and I'm assuming it's on there, it has to be Airplane. Airplane's not on there. What? The greatest comedy ever made is not on their list? I also Fuck think, them. I also think in a revisal, uh, revival, they should maybe consider putting Superbad on that list. Absolutely. Uh, so, of course, in the years that followed its release of so Dr. Nova, as early as 1986, people were a lot, a lot more favorable looking back at that movie, probably because there's a lot of shitty other, other shitty Bond movies. Yeah, uh, when you've got A View to a Kill and uh, Moonraker and Thunderball in your quarrel, yeah. Dr. No does look a lot better by comparison. Wait, quarrel? What's wrong with quarrel? 
Uh, one critic has said, noted there's a slow stretch in the middle. Dr. No could use a decent henchman, but otherwise the movie works marvelously. Yeah, there was no like like standout henchman in the same way in a, as in other Bond movies. There was no Mr. Kill in I this mean, movie. I honestly don't even think Dr. No is much of a standout. No. Hot take? I mean, but that's the thing. It's the first Bond movie. He's the prototype for what comes. I mean, obviously, well, by the time we get to Goldfinger, Goldfinger is a way more interesting villain oh, than yeah. Dr. No. I don't even know who the villain is in From Russia With Love. Even Hugo Drax from Moonraker is a little more interesting than Dr. No. He's pretty flat, I gotta say. <laughs> oh, he looks like Peter Dinklage, by the way. He does. He looks like a big Peter Dinklage. Who is the villain in Furmush Would Love? Do you know? Just I don't remember. Okay, see? We're not looking it up, guys. We honestly don't even know. It's been a long time since I watched that one. The last little bit I have is that President John F. Kennedy was a huge fan of Ian Fleming's novels, and he actually requested a private screening of Dr. No in the White House. Nice. By the way, did you know that there's a website that details every single movie that Jimmy Carter ever screened in the White House? Really? It's a very interesting list. That would be Maybe that's our next podcast. We watch Jimmy Carter's list of movies. <laughs> We'd be repeating a lot of movies. Uh, fun fact, he never watched Birth of a Nation, so that's good. Well... I mean, he was from the South. He probably saw it in person. He didn't need to fucking watch a movie about Jimmy it. Jimmy Carter's wonderful. I love you, Jimmy Carter. You're the best, dude. You're the, be- you're the best president. You're the best ex-president. You may not have been the best president, but you're definitely the best ex-president. Oh, he's a wonderful human being. Yes. Uh, so that's all I have. I mean, that's all I have. That's a lot of stuff. But, Jason, let's get into kind of our thoughts of this movie. You mentioned now, now you mentioned beforehand. Yes. You were a little, a little worried. Yes. Um, this movie, you said, had a lot of walking. Yeah. It's ranked... 20, I think we said 29 places higher than Goldfinger, yeah. which will you still say is a better film? Yes. Okay. So that be, that aside, Dr. No. So I originally saw Dr. No probably 20 years ago on VHS, and I remember being really bored by it, I, especially compared to Goldfinger and, and you know the Pierce Brosnan films that were of my generation. Um, talking about my generation. Sue us who, go ahead. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I remember being really bored by it. And so going back to it, watching it, it turns out it's actually a really fucking good James Bond movie. Like it is, it is the first movie, but it is, it has a lot of the elements that we've come to expect from a Bond movie. We have a a, a weird villain. We have a Bond girls. He's got a little bit of tech. He doesn't have like the crazy stuff that Q, you know, later introduces, but they give him a new gun and everything. And like, I, I enjoyed this. It was one of the more serious, despite the humor, one of the more serious Bond movies, um, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was a solid Bond movie. It was a good uh, foot to leap off of, I suppose, uh, for this franchise. But if you had your way, you'd switch. Oh yeah, Goldfinger. no, absolutely. I think Goldfinger is still a better movie. But now it, here's my question. Yeah, if you had, if you could only pick one, considering this is just keep in mind, this is the first Bond yeah. movie. Goldfinger is probably the more the most well known one. Yeah. But if you only pick one on this list, would it still be Goldfinger? Be Tomorrow Never Dies. Between these two, between these two, yeah, no, it would definitely be Goldfinger. I think Gold, Goldfinger. I think I think Goldfinger is the most representative and possibly the most iconic James Bond film. This is very important, obviously, mm. because it starts off this massive franchise, and it's and like I say, it's a solid movie. But I think Goldfinger is just everything about Goldfinger is that much better. Can I just say I don't think there should be two? Yeah, I think there probably, probably only needs to be one James. Bond I think there movie. only needs to be one James Bond movie. There's nothing. I mean, this is the first one. Mm-hmm. And Goldfinger is the first that really sinks into the formula. Yeah. And I don't think you necessarily just need this movie on the list because it's the first one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's good. I like it. Yes. I don't think it's like, it's definitely not the best Bond movie. It's a good starting point. But I think the reason it, the most, mostly the reason it's on this list is because it's the first yes. Bond movie. And if you're just going to have Dr. No on this list, okay, whatever, fine. But 
I don't think you necessarily need to have the first one. I feel like if there was a new BFI list made today, that, that Goldfinger would rate higher and that Dr. No would probably re be replaced by something like Casino Royale or Skyfall. Yeah. And then, and then again, I would be like, we, do we need to? Yeah, exactly. The same question would be there. Especially two Connery ones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I don't think any of the Roger Moore ones are really good enough to be on this list. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, like, I like them. But yeah, I don't know that there's one that's like an and, iconic standout in the same way. Maybe like The Spy Who Loved Me. Just because yeah. it's such a, like, James, James Bond exploded in your face kind of But movie. I also think like this, the movies need to be more than just good to be on yeah. this list. They need to be some a big part of culture. I think they need to like, you know, be a little bit inspiring yeah. to other movies. And I don't see any of the Roger they don't Moore need, they, movies they, as they doing that. They can't just be a great James Bond movie. They need to be an iconic film yeah like if that was the case i would put honor majesty's secret service on this list that's yeah. a great bond movie but do I, I do i think it should be not really because it's is not george lazenby your favorite bond well yeah obviously you love australians <laughs> he's not terrible but he's, he's he, that movie is really good yeah um this never happened to the other fella yeah and uh, <laughs> but but like yeah i don't know it's this debate that you could have for days like should it be on there because it's the first? Like you, I'll, I'll give you a point of comparison. Okay, the American Film Institute Top 100. Yeah, right. They have Star Wars on there. Yeah, the first one is that the best Star Wars movie? Probably not. Empire is probably the best Star Wars movie. Empire is yeah likely. Or you know what? Hot take. Last Jedi is probably my second favorite. Mm -hmm. Ooh, come at me, internet trolls. <laughs> but um, yeah, Empire is probably the best one. But in a way, I st it, it, the opposite side of the fence, I kind of think Star Wars is the one that belongs on it, that it list. It is the iconic one. It is the one that... I mean, it's a good movie in its own right, but it is the one that started, yeah, the franchise. It's such an iconic film. It's such a game changer. And and such a one... Like, and the thing about Star Wars, and I know this isn't a Star Wars podcast, but like Star Wars is a, a love letter to old serials flash gordon yeah. and 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 uh, uh clearly inspired by japanese films of kurosawa i mean obviously um the hidden fortress you know princess leia and r2d2 and c3po are heavily based on characters from that one mm. like it, it's 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 the head of a film student writ large on screen um, well and i mean even like i mean we talked about this when we talked about bridge on the river kwai return of the jedi like yeah. there's there's other movies too that it takes like british films yeah but yeah, that's enough about just, Star Wars. Yeah, we, we agree just, that if Star Wars was on the list, it would be about it would be the one movie. Yeah, but that's just, that's what I mean. Like it's it's weird. It's weird for me to make this make the to say that I think it should be Goldfinger over Doctor No when I look at the AFI and despite Empire being better, I'm still saying Star Wars should be on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a weird contradiction, but yeah. I feel like Doctor No. Yeah. I don't know. I'm debating it back and forth in my head. But, you know, you could argue, too, like, like the first movie in a series is not always the one that should be on a list. I mean, if, if we were talking Star Trek... But if this is a list that's just, like, not only great films, but, like, iconic yeah. and, like, influential films, is Doctor No more influential than Goldfinger? I don't that, think so. You don't think so? Okay. Not at all. I mean, it, uh, I mean, it's certainly, I guess, influential... Sh yeah, okay. Do I think it's influential? Absolutely, and obviously in starting the franchise, but I think, I just think Goldfinger is just so much better known... Yeah, uh, and so my like when people think of James Bond, they think of Goldfinger. Right. They think of uh, do you expect me to talk? No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die. And I and I think the reason I said the Star Wars thing is because you can't just jump into Empire as a starting point. No, that feels that is a sequel. Conversely, with into, James Bond foods, you can jump into anyone, any any Bond. Yeah, you don't need to know. Well, maybe not Quantum maybe of Solace. Maybe Quantum of Solace, yeah. <laughs> but but I mean, no one wants to watch that. So. <laughs> 
I do, but I want to. I want to watch it because uh, for the, on the James Bonding podcast, Matt Myra suggested. He says if you're going to watch Quantum of Solace, the best way to watch it is to immediately watch watch Casino Royale and then immediately watch Quantum of Solace and look at it as like an extended version yeah. of that movie. It's very it's very dark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's an interesting conversation. Um, yeah. we'll go back and forth on it. I think we're both pretty much in agreement. It should be Goldfinger. Should be Goldfinger, but this is, you can't go wrong. It's a great James Bond movie. Yeah, I, I, I like Dr. No. I don't know if I love it, but it's, it's fun. It's, it's not fun. my top, it's not on my, I don't know if it's necessarily even in my top five James Bond films, but like I say, I was wonderfully surprised that it was way better than I expected. There is a lot of walking still. Yes. <laughs> and the middle section is kind of slow. Yeah. And from the moment they get on the island to the moment the climax happens, it, it lasts a little too long. Yes. But it's good. I now, like it. Now, what do you think about the N64 game Goldeneye? I've never... Oh, no, I have played it. You long sure time you ago. have played it. Long yes. time ago. One of the greatest experiences of my teenage years was playing Goldeneye multiplayer with my friends. It was so fun. And that soundtrack... Oh, God, guys. If you want to listen to one of the best Bond soundtracks, listen to the uncompressed Goldfinger... Or Goldfinger. Unpressed, uncompressed Goldeneye 64 soundtrack is delightful. But now... Comes the time. The time when we roll the dice. Mm. And this week, Brendan has the honor and the privilege of rolling these dice. Oh, it's not a privilege, sir. Now, Brendan, why don't you explain to the, the little folks what we do with these dice? Well, what we do, Jason, is we have two dice. We have a 1's d10 with numbers ranging from 1 to 9. And a 10's d10 with numbers ranging from 0 to 90. We already did 100. We don't have to worry about that. That's fine. And we're going to roll these dice, or I'm going to roll these dice, and the number I get on on them is going to correspond with the number on the BFI Top 100 that we will discuss next week. Let's get ready, folks. So what we're going to do first, and if and if we get the if we get one that we've already done, we're just going to do it again. So roll again. I'm just going to re-upload the the old episode <laughs> with new comments. Maybe we'll do a commentary track over our. Episode. Oh yes, absolutely. God love that. damn, that'd be terrible. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to roll the tens d10 first. All right. Here we go. What do we? What what decade of the list are we going to get into? Eighty. Somewhere. Well, we got a bunch. We got a good amount of. We one, two, three. We've done three movies in the eighties. All right, let's see what we got here. Eighty-three. Eighty-three. We already did, which was Darling. Darling. Okay. All right. Do it again. Do it again. Do it. Here we go. Thirties. Okay. We've done a bunch of. We've done a few of those. Thirty-four. Thirty-four. Nineteen eighty-two. Richard Attenborough. Gandhi. Oh. Fuck. Here we go. This is a big one. <laughs> oh, boy. Three hours. Yeah, okay. we, we had our little James Bond diversion, and now we're back into it. Uh, is he also a secret agent? I think so, yeah. <laughs> he's I'm pretty secret, sure. He's a secret Asian. <laughs> God, secret God. Asian man. <laughs> wow. We're doing Gandhi. We're doing Gandhi. 1982. Richard Attenborough? Richard Attenborough directs. Who we've seen act in a few films so mm-hmm. far, but now we're going to see him direct. Yes. And uh, is he in it, too? I don't. Rem- I don't know. I've never seen Gandhi. Does he so. play Gandhi? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he decided he was really going to make his career by playing Gandhi, yeah. but he was about twenty years too late. I'd say. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we're going to talk about Gandhi uh, next week, which is great timing because I've only got two other podcasts to record that weekend. Uh, so that, yeah, let's, we'll, let's let's do it. I've never seen it. I don't know much about it. I know Ben Kingsley's in it. I'm pretty sure he's wearing a little bit of brown face. A little bit, but he's you know Ben Kingsley. He can play anybody. Okay, Jason. No, he literally can play anybody. Look, look, he's he's bald, so he don't have to worry about hair. You can put whatever wig on him you need. He's perfect. So with that being said, uh, follow us on the social medias. 
You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen and Country. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find Jason on Twitter at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. Hit me up. Read all about his spy techniques and all the ladies he snogged. Yes. Yes, in my pre-marriage life when I was a secret agent. Secret agent man. Well, you're giving you a number. And, and it's taking away your name. name. Okay. So all I have to say to you, Jason, I'm daunted by the shadow of Gandhi over the next <laughs> I know. Oh. But uh, all I have to say to you right now is, to you, sir, with love, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Could you make my martini properly? Well, then I would have to stir it, sir. Shake it! Then I will not make Shake it Shake it! I'm shaking. Shake, shake, shake your mambo, shake your mambo life. Bastard. Underneath the mango tree, me honey and me, come watch for the moon. Underneath the mango tree, me honey and me, make bululup soon. Underneath the moonlit sky, me honey and I, come sit hand in hand. Underneath the moonlit sky, me honey and I come make fairyland. Mango, banana and tangerine, sugar and ackee and cocoa.